Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. Nava in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts. It's Esther and Atalita Snava's, oh gosh, outgoing executive director. It has been an extraordinary few years and at this time of change, I am so thrilled to get to have a conversation as my final podcast with one of our newest members of the extended Nava community, Rowan Kickett, who has only just recently joined the Nava board. Rowan, it's so great to get to talk. Yeah, thanks. It's um, really good to have the opportunity. Rowan, tell us where you are today. I'm in Perth, a suburb called Forestdale, and I'm sitting in my studio at the back of my house. And tell us about the Kickett family. Tell us a bit about your mob, your practice, for feeling over on the other side of the country right now. Kickett mob, we're um, quite a large family. We come from the sort of Balladong region, um, which is sort of the wheat belt, small town called York, which was one of the first inland towns of WA and um, we can trace our family right back to settlement just outside of York along the river where they first made contact and um, yeah, there's a, probably a couple of thousand of us um, over here, very extended family and um, yeah this is our home and we've been here for a long time. I've only, I'm about 130 kilometres from where I was born so we haven't really moved far. <laughs> oh that's so good to still have that connection but also such a big family. Yeah, I meet new people in the family all the time and people say, oh, no, we kick it. And I'm like, um, okay, which one? <laughs> <laughs> and and no, the time I haven't met whoever they're talking about as well. So. And I'm here on the other side of the country. I am on uh, the lands of the Bunwurrung and the Woiwurrung Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation over in Narum, Melbourne. And it's a very disrupted kind of place at the moment because of the pandemic. So we're going to have a bit of a conversation about that. But also, I guess, more broadly about what Rowan's up to, some of Rowan's plans the next few years. And Rowan, we met a few years ago, didn't we? Yeah, the Future Forward Conference. And again, over here in Perth, when we had a little meet-up with all the other people, it was really good. I was just saying to a colleague today that it feels like WA was my second home these last few years. I've spent a lot of time there over the last few years. But tell us about that that first experience of Future Forward, sense of, um, I guess, Nava's role, but also all of our voices and the ways that we, you know, create that broader sense of what's urgent and what's needed. How was that Future Forward experience for you looking back? It was, yeah, a really big experience for us and it's, um, it was really intimidating too because I only just really new to the whole art world and I didn't really know anybody over there. I messaged Damien Shen on Instagram because I was following him and he put up a post that he was going and I messaged him and said, I'm going too. And, yeah, really nice, like, really nice guy. He met up with us over there and introduced us around to everybody and um, made us feel welcome and made us feel at home. And, um, yeah, so that was really nice to meet him. And uh, especially with the conference, listening to all the artists speak was some of them really hit home to what I was wanted to hear. 
and one of those people was Richard Bell and I managed to get to ask him a couple of questions which he gave us some really good feedback and that motivated me into what my plans are for the next few years as well. Probably one of the biggest, best pieces of information was from Patricia Piccinini. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Piccinini, um, yeah. She was saying that you don't really enter the art where you sort of build it around you with your network of friends and, and people and that really stood out to me. So that was something that I tried to adopt over here. I love that. It's such good advice, isn't it? You know, we sort of speak in abstract terms about the ecology, about the interconnectedness. So it's sort of like you're kind of wading into this landscape and there are things that are there as though they're disconnected from you. But that sense that we're constantly creating that all the time, it's so important to have that mindset, isn't it? Especially thinking about your plans for the next few years. Yeah, it's all about building community and building that around and, and using each other to advocate for each other and progress as much as we can and uplift each other, not just, you know, progressing yourself, but as you progress, you're lifting everybody up with you. Yeah. And that's, that's all I hear of. So then in that context, tell us about your plans for the next few years. Yeah, well, we had the, um, the discussion at Future Forward where I asked, I asked Richard Bell about a lot of the issues that we face in here and the fact that Perth doesn't have an art centre. And a lot of the Noongar people are at a great disadvantage because of it. A lot of the regional communities have their art centres and they get a lot of funding and they get a lot of shows and, you know, a lot of dealers go out there and we don't have anything here in Perth to really help. And I was talking to Richard Bell and he just said, well, you, you got to do it. And if anyone gets in your way, you know, kick the doors down and just do it. <laughs> um, Good on <laughs> Going to Future Forward, we never had the plans to, to start anything. And then after Future Forward, me and my brother were discussing it and I said, well, if we don't do it, who is? So we just um, started the discussions with a lot of people in the community and the people at the City of Armadale Council, as soon as they heard what we wanted to do, they absolutely loved the idea. Brilliant. And they support us as much as they can. So this weekend is our first community discussion sessions. Oh, wow. So today we've invited a lot of the artists within our community to come down and talk about the issues they see and they face as being an artist in Perth. And we want to know where they want to go in their career as well so we can tailor things to help them achieve their goals and also to stop a lot of the issues that are happening. And at the moment, we're still trying to discuss what does the actual organisation look like because in Perth, it's quite hard to run it from the traditional art centre sort of style. So we're we're looking at maybe an organisation, an association or something where we connect all the, all the smaller groups in Perth that are already currently operating and we are the one common denominator between everyone throughout the southwest. and then we can apply personal development uh, workshops um, with different artists can come in and, and do workshop on their style and just advocate for Nunga Art in Perth. It makes so much sense when there's there are organisations or networks that exist. To like we we're saying earlier about the ecology, you know, there's there's um, you know you don't want to go in and and create something that conflicts with them. And there's a great chance to you know learn and and collaborate. But then on the other hand, like you were saying, in the specific Perth context, you were less interested in you know what might be a traditional Aboriginal art centre model and looking at the whole range of things that artists want and need. What is that traditional? Aboriginal Arts Centre model and how's that different to what you're thinking about? Well, with the communities, they'll have a centre where a lot of the people in the community sort of have to go to at some stage 
and that model in Perth is quite difficult because we're such a, a broad area. And in one of the workshops we had on art centres, we got to hear from one of the art centres in Queensland who has a similar massive area as well. And listening to her give us some advice was really handy as well. And try to, you know, take all that on board and um, just try to keep the communications going with everybody is the key. Oh, yeah, especially over, yeah, a, a big area, an area where, you know, there's um, artists, I guess, at different stages of their careers, at different kind of, uh, like even even like some artists who are emerging might be more connected with a sense of opportunities and, 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 and resourcing maybe than some established artists, that that sense of just letting people know what exists must be, you know, a great challenge in terms of how to design such an approach. Yeah, and, and we have artists who are well-established in, say, they do murals around Perth, but is that all they want to do? Do they want to enter another aspect of the art, you know, arena? And that's what we want to help with. So if they've got their goals to achieve something different to what they're already doing, we want to try and help them make that happen and get them in front of the right people to advise them on how to do it as well. You know, I was part of a conversation this morning that was facilitated um, by some government agencies, the Office for the Arts and the Australia Council, and there were some presentations by a bunch of uh, First Peoples Performing Arts organisations talking about this notion of a self-determined sector and looking at different leadership models and so on. And I got to thinking about Aboriginal arts centres and the differences between self-determined leadership and resource sharing and so on in the visual arts and craft and, and so on, as opposed to the performing arts. What are the kinds of things that you think, I guess, can be models or guides beyond the visual arts when it comes to the Aboriginal Arts Centre model? Because you don't necessarily see it replicated for other art forms or, or, or practices. Yeah, that's a yeah tricky a tricky question. I'm, I'm mainly focused on visual arts, and that's my practice. I don't really know too many other artists who are in the acting space or the performance dance, um, but it's definitely something we we want to help with, and we want to be able to cover those aspects as well. There are a few people that I know that are heavily involved in those arenas, so they're definitely people that I'll be approaching to see what we can set up to help them as well. Um, and they're definitely certain key figures in our community already. There'd be so many artists who cross art form boundaries and it's always a question for NAV when people want to join NAVA and they say, oh, but my practice is kind of, it's a bit experimental or it's performative or, you know, I draw on culture and cultural practice in different ways. I tell stories. I, you know, kind of like, what does visual arts mean? But in, in this context, what struck me was the approach to self-determination and trying to establish, I guess, uh, resource shares, organisations, networks. And it strikes me that um, Aboriginal arts centres, especially when, you know, they're run by mob within community, it's already a model, a kind of self-determination that's drawing on so many long-standing models of, of uh, working together, just developing on drawing culture, drawing on culture in different ways. Yeah, and with that self-determination, um, it brings me back to the, the piece that Richard Bell did for the Telstra Awards of Aboriginal Art, It's a White Thing. And to me, it, it really resonated with me because you have a lot of gallery owners that will only show what they want to show and it's not really what the artists want people to see. And it's very well controlled, not by the Aboriginal artists themselves, but it's reliant on 
Western people that want to show you a certain type of Aboriginal art. And I want to try and, you know, take that self-determination back and yeah. control we want to show and not what people want to show. It's It comes down to the, you know, Aboriginal art's been over-commercialised for so long that people have a already a sense of what they believe Aboriginal art should be because that's all, that's all they see in the, in the shops, in the galleries. I really want to see more solo shows by Noongar artists in Perth um, so they can actually put on a show, tell their story and actually show what they want to show and not be told what they should be showing. And um, so that's one, one of the main reasons why we need this organisation to advocate for Noongar arts. And it strikes me it's going to have such an important role when it comes to that broader leadership and advocacy and, and advising a range of Perth galleries about protocol, about working together, about exactly that, that, you know, what's the decision making, uh, what kind of, you know, perception, preconception are white curators and gallery directors uh, placing and so developing that sense of, yeah, what is unique about contemporary Nogai culture. And the one thing that always struck me was every time I went out and I saw Aboriginal art, it was done in such a Western way that it was almost it almost lost its appeal as, as Aboriginal art is. Oh, tell me more about that. What do you mean? You look at some of the artists that have gone through the uni system and they've adopted the mentality that uni sort of instills into their students and they've taken that and then they've done sort of like an Aboriginal art uh, project with that Western um, mentality behind it. And it doesn't quite resonate fully with what Aboriginal art actually is. And it almost like with Aboriginal art, there is such a connection to the art piece and the artist. And a lot of these artworks, it's almost like that connection's missing. And it's, it's almost lost that connection between the Aboriginal artist and what he's actually trying to achieve within the artwork. Which must be so jarring to see. It must be like be like when when there's a mismatch there between what a work is doing or expressing and perhaps something that has been abstracted away. It must feel just completely culturally jarring to see that. Yeah, it is, and and it almost like the the respect for Aboriginal art is is almost disappeared, and it's only accepted when it's done in in that Western style. And I, I'd love for art to be respected for what it really is. And to try and do that, we, we need to get together and advocate for it. And it also indicates, like you were saying, how important it is to be able to have workshops, professional development, that sort of thing. Are there many Noongar artists or Aboriginal artists employed at Perth art schools at the moment? There's only two Aboriginal artists that are actually going through university. Oh, right. I'm, I was one and I, I dropped <laughs> out. Um, oh, you I, did? I, yeah, it, Tell us that uh, story. It, it really killed me mentally. Had to leave it. My brother's still going through it and he's fighting the whole way to the point where he he wants there to be a, a, an Aboriginal lecturer to be present during the review system. Yeah. Because sometimes the teachers are um, wanting him to do things that are culturally inappropriate and when he tells them, then they're not actually listening. So he'd rather it come from an Aboriginal lecturer to tell them that it's culturally unacceptable. So that sort of thing is happening as well and for me I, I couldn't at the moment I couldn't personally advise an Aboriginal artist to go to you until it is actually acceptable for, for cultural art practices as well. 
Well, yeah, and fair enough. Um, and it just put, puts your brother in that tough position because he wants to get the whole experience, that education, and then at the same time being the fighter and the advocate and the, like the work, the, the, the labour of that and the toll on him. I mean, you know, no, no wonder you dropped out. You can't at a young age be the person doing all of those things and pushing that institutional change, which again is why it's going to be so important to have this art centre develop. It's, uh, yeah, the... The, the impact that you'll have will be extraordinary, but also the just the you think about individual artists and having that space being, you know, having that horizon open up to say, yeah, we want you and your practice. Yeah, I mean, like it's particularly with like the Leicester Prize being a, a prestigious portrait prize here, and that's even though there's very there's not very many Nuyas who paint portraits and. There are plenty that do and have the skills to be able to enter the competition, but you don't see them in the competition. And I've been lately, I've been, you know, contacting a lot of these artists and saying, have you seen this award? Um, next year, I want you to put a piece in it and just trying to get, you know, if I can get 10 people to apply and we might get one or two shown and that's a big step. That's what I'd love to see. So now, you were describing, you know, coming to Future Forward, being inspired by Richard Bell, and who wouldn't be? He's got a real way of just stoking the fire in the belly. But I reckon you probably already had a bit of the fire in the belly and looking at, you know, the ways to develop your voice as as an advocate. What were you doing, I guess, just before? And what were the kinds of things that, you know, thinking about what's going on in Perth, what's going on nationally, what makes advocacy for the arts and for Aboriginal arts so important right now? You know, comparing it to then and then right now, what, what is needed? I think the, the further I get into my career, the, the more things I see. And the more things I see, then the more annoyed I get. And the more annoyed I get, then I, then I want to do something about it. And um, that's hopefully it's just sort of steamrolled to this point where now I'm in the position where I can do something about it. And and that, it's a really good feeling that there is something that I can physically do. And when you when you see all these things and there's nothing you can do, there's no worse feeling than that. And that's that feeling of not knowing what to do or feeling disempowered, it can stop us in our tracks. And at different times in our lives, it stops us in our tracks. Like, you know, when you knew it was time to drop out of uni, that was a, a generative thing. It made a whole lot of other things possible. Uh, but then for so many of us, you know, you can see those things that are, that are frustrating, that are just, you know, uh, so structurally embedded. And um, it can be, um, you know, there are times when you do just want to stop. And, and you don't want to continue. So what's, um, what would you say, I guess, to people, artists who are listening to this um, and also people in a position to make change within their organisations, what would you say to, to someone who is feeling that frustration and wanting to make change? What would you say to someone in a position to make change? How do we make sure that there are fewer people who stop doing what they're doing and more people who continue to sustain their practice and that connection to culture. Yeah, well, just start the conversations with people. The more conversations that are happening, um, the more action that will, will happen. And particularly with artists who aren't really in the position to make change, um, they still are. They can do artworks on these issues and, and show them in different shows. And um, that's a big part of what I do in my practice as well, one, one aspect of my practice where I, I highlight these you know issues of our entire culture and I do it in a way that is very, it's a physical act, 
but ends up with a, a visual piece at the end of it. And I did an artist talk on the piece last Saturday and it drew all the correct questions that I wanted the piece to draw. And ah, that's fashion. so satisfying. What were some of those yeah. questions that you wanted and that you got? Um, just to learn more about the history of our culture from the last, from 1905 to 1967, the 1905 Act and what it has done to our people and to just get a, an understanding of where our culture is today. And for me, when I was at uni, I did the Indigenous Studies Unit and to pull apart the 1905 Act piece by piece really resonated with me and it gave me more of an understanding of all the things that I was seeing growing up. And it made me a lot more comfortable in having that understanding that I could actually explain it to people in a way that they could understand. But even then, talking to people, they will still just dismiss you. So then I decided to put it into an artwork and then people started to listen. And that's the power of art. It certainly is. It's certainly that that is, that is a brilliant way of putting it. Art has an extraordinary capacity to compel us to ask questions and it's almost like our body is asking the question before we've even thought about it. You know, art rearranges what we're thinking and feeling in some incredibly arresting ways. So that must have been, yeah, a, a great experience to want to present something that's quite complex and then have people, did you have that moment of like just seeing the thinking happening? Yeah, and it was one of the, it was only the second piece of that type of style that I've, I've done too. So it was really good to get that feedback. Yeah, it was, it was quite enjoyable being able to do, have that discussion with everybody. So then shifts in your practice, shifts in plans around um, a new Aboriginal Arts Centre for Perth. And now, of course, just recently, you've been elected onto the NAVA board, which is fantastic. And we are so thrilled to have you. What's the, what's the kind of change that you'd love to see at NAVA? What, what are you going to be quietly and then less quietly leading the board towards? Because there's uh, a lot going on right now and a lot of call for First People's Voices. Yeah, I mean, going over revamping the code is something I'm really looking forward to because I use that code all the time in my own practice and I know how valuable that is. And to be able to have a voice in, in how, it's, how it is in the next two years is, is really, really important to me. And especially with Aboriginal artists, I'm always trying to get them to look at the code as well for their own practice. And, it, and especially with uh, a lot of the way a lot of things are set up, within the arts industry is what I'm, I'm looking at as well. Um, particularly with like, as I mentioned you earlier with the public art projects, there's a lot of things with specifically Aboriginal art projects where they want Aboriginal artists to complete the design and do the actual work themselves, which is awesome that the money's actually going to Aboriginal people. But at the moment it's, um, it's let's get a, a white team of artists to team up with an Aboriginal artist. Mm. And, and that's happening way too much. And there are so many artists out there who are capable, but with this cultural mentality, it's never, it's not really going to change. And I don't know how we can change that, but it's something that I want to in the discussions. Yeah. I mean, if we can articulate what a standard should be, get that in writing and get that great agreement and then build those relationships where people realize, hey, this is actually a great way of doing it because you will create something that enriches life and, 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 um, and draws on the work of expert artists. 
it's, um, you know, I think one of the, the, you know, the, the great value of standards and a code of practice is often about just getting and remitting what you sort of thought was maybe understood, but then you only realise people haven't understood it when things go wrong. That's right, yeah. And, I mean, a lot of the broader sense too, like with the entire Aboriginal art industry, how it's, what it's built on itself. I mean, that's a monster as in its own, the Aboriginal art industry. For me, like just the fact that Aboriginal art centres need funding from the government is disgusting when you look at how much money Aboriginal art is actually bringing in and there's quite a discrepancy there and something's not right with if an Aboriginal art centre has to look for funding to survive when there is that much money in the industry and the money's not getting back to the Aboriginal artists and that's something I really am quite passionate about. That is just such a clear and strong way of putting it, you know. We often talk about or try and consider, like, you know, the the value, the public value of the arts in general. But then when you look at the dollar value that Aboriginal artists create in ways that, you know, the that dollar value is not returning to communities, is not returning to the development of practice, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, and these things, Richard Bell's been campaigning for years, so... <laughs> And he's been doing a fantastic job, but we, we need that change to happen and we need to figure out how can we make that happen. You know, the very first uh, interesting thing we've, we've talked about, Richard, the very first podcast that I recorded when I just stepped into this role was with Richard Bell. And uh, so it is uh, very special to then wrap up those three years um, speaking with you. I am so thrilled that you are on the board. I'm incredibly thrilled for what is going to become possible in Perth once the Art Centre is created. And it's one of those things where like every every one of the conversations that you're about to facilitate, whether those people are involved in the future with the Art Centre or not, you've changed something. People are connected in with actively supporting each other developing practice, advocating for positive change. I think you're doing really important stuff, Rowan. Yeah, thank you. Uh, with these community sessions, um, there's going to be a lot of information there that I can gather and then take to Navar as well. And that's something that's um, I, I thought was really important. And so they, they get their voice heard as well. Well, once we have, um, as you know, our podcasts uh, are also transcribed. We're going to get some information alongside this one about those plans so that as people are listening or reading, it's possible to follow up and find out more. But for now, Rowan, thank you so, so much. It's been wonderful and really important to get to talk through all of this with you. No worries. Thank you. Head to our website visualarts.net.au for more information on NAVA's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for Australian artists and arts organisations.